Well, again, this is a, a unique morning, a church gathering on Christmas Day. And this is probably maybe an interruption to your normally scheduled Christmas plans, but I pray that it's a, um, a joyful interruption. Maybe it's an opportunity to interrupt our normal routine and remember the point of Christmas. So we, we got together with my family down in Tennessee at Thanksgiving. So we kind of did with a combination of the turkey and, you know, the Christmas stuff all together in one week. We had our, our typical Christmas where we had our meal together. We passed out presents. We read the Christmas story with all the grandkids around. It's pretty similar. But one year, and I've shared this before, and it's kind of embarrassing, but my dad introduced a new uh, Salava family tradition years ago, over a decade ago, to try to spice up our Christmas tradition. Now, my dad does not have very good tastes because his spicing up our Christmas tradition was that we all, in order to open presents, have to write an, a Christmas-themed essay. No joke, my dad would assign a topic regarding Christmas, and if you wanted to open your presents, you had to write an essay and read it before the rest of your family. So Christmas break no longer became a break for us when we were in school. Right, topics from, hey, pick your favorite Christmas carol, tell us why you love it, or tell us about a country and their Christmas tradition. So every year, I mean, I'm a grown adult man, I still have to do this every year, okay? <laughs> so most of you will never want to come to the Salava family Christmas, but as much as I complain year after year about this Christmas essay, which is becoming a tradition in itself, complaining about it, it, it does make us kind of pause and consider things a little differently. Uh, and that's kind of what we're doing this morning. This is a bit of an opportunity, a unique opportunity to do something different than we would normally do on Christmas. Because sometimes familiarity with things often unfortunately brings what we call apathy. Doing the same thing over and over again, you begin to lose your passion, your emotion, your authenticity with it. And sometimes that can even happen with Christmas. Now, some things shouldn't change about Christmas, right? Maybe your, your meal shouldn't change. Obviously, the Christmas story shouldn't change. But I hope that there's a renewed sense of, of gratefulness or awareness every time we come to the text of Jesus being born. Hopefully, we feel excited or hopeful or grateful, and apathy can kill that, right? And I pray this service might be that kind of wake-up call to our affections, to our heart, a good interruption that casts our eyes on Jesus, right? All right, this morning before church, we got up early, we opened presents at home, and you know, the, the joy, right, the adults, we feel the joy of our kids opening the presents, that renewed joy that we have to see kids be kids, right? That's fun. That's one of the great benefits of, of Christmas, kids being joyful, and it reminds us as adults, man, we could be a lot more joyful in our life than we are. There's a great line, right, in Dickens' Christmas Carol, where it says, it says, for it is good to be children sometimes and never better than at Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. There's a childish joy at Christmas, which is fitting because our Savior was a child. And I pray we have some of that childish joy today, no matter your age. Some of you were here yesterday at our Christmas Eve service. We read the birth story of Jesus. So we're going to read that again, but read beyond that. So if you have a Bible, please open up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the first 21 verses of Luke chapter 2. And once you find it, would you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? If you have one of those pew Bibles ahead of you, in front of you, it's on page 857. If you want to use one of those black pew Bibles. This is the word of the Lord. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, give us joy today. As we look at this wonderful passage, Spirit, help us. Amen. Please be seated. It's a story of of God coming to save us, right? We have the angels, we have the the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, this town of of Bethlehem. This is all the setting, the, the pieces of the puzzle there for God to become one of us to save us. Such a wonderful story in the Birth story is brief, but more of this story, of this account in Luke 2, is about those hearing the birth announcement and how they respond, both the the angels and the shepherds. Overall, we see just a joyful response to the fact that there's a baby now born in Bethlehem. This kind of like creation is kind of sighing with relief that finally the one has come who's going to put everything back together. The angels rejoicing, these mere shepherds are joining in a wonderful event. Today we should join in on this celebration. The main point today is very simple. The main point is today is a day to rejoice for Jesus has been born. That's it. It's a day to rejoice for Jesus has been born been born. There's a reason why kids often sing happy birthday to Jesus at their Christmas programs, right? It's something to celebrate, to rejoice in. And I want us to look at, you know, who this baby is being born. And then we're going to look in the second half at the joyful responses to this baby being born. But again, let's go back to the foundations of who this baby is. Now, I don't want to repeat a lot of the last few weeks of sermons or even yesterday, but let's do a, a quick summary And then we're going to really glue in on verse 11 this morning. But here we have Joseph, who's engaged to Mary, who's a virgin, and yes, she's pregnant. Yep, sounds like a good tabloid article, but that's what happened. 
Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. She became pregnant, and the baby she's going to deliver is Jesus, God made flesh. So during this, this pregnancy, it says in our text that Caesar's requiring all citizens to come uh, and be registered so that taxes can be in order. Right, so Joseph takes his fiancée, who's pregnant, heads to Bethlehem, which, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, is a kind of a prophetic fulfillment that Jesus is going to be born in the town of Bethlehem, though David and Mary didn't live there. So how are they going to get there? Through tax purposes. God even works through taxes, by the way. So they're there they're to do a census tax paperwork. Mary goes into labor, and for whatever reason, we don't really know why, but they can't find a place to stay and have the baby Jesus. Maybe it's too overpopulated. Maybe they were rejected because it's too scandalous because she's pregnant and not married. I don't know. But Mary gave birth to Jesus, God in the flesh, laid him in a manger, a feeding trough. Surrounded by animals, the stench of the animals, no beds. And here is where the God of the universe came onto the scene. And there this baby was wrapped and swaddled in cloths, a newborn baby who is God. Again, think about this. The God who created life was born. Think about that. The God who rules over the entire world is birthed in a place like a stable. The God who is eternal became a baby. And the place he was born in doesn't fit his glory or his majesty. He was born a poor man's birth, born to a couple who weren't popular or known or rich. Everything about this story reveals that God humbled himself and became low to serve us. His birth screams this at us. Right At first glance, if you and I were walking through Bethlehem and we saw this baby, we would not recognize him as the king of the universe. Right? We would have different expectations for where he would be born or where he would live. Right? We'd think he'd be in a palace, already on a throne. But here's this weak family, this poor family. He looks like an ordinary baby, and yet he is not ordinary in any way. Right, there are stories in, in history of where celebrities or politicians or world leaders, like at first glance, weren't recognized. Right, they walk in and stroll in like any other common person. Over the last year or so, I've kind of chuckled because I've seen articles about how many people didn't recognize a, a famous athlete named uh, Tony Hawk. You may not know who Tony Hawk was, but for a long time, he was like the best skateboarder. All that. I don't really know much about it, but he was a world athlete, okay? World famous Tony Hawk, right? But he's kind of retired and not really done much since then. And there's these hilarious stories that he writes about how people don't recognize him. Right? One day he showed up to an airport to fly and he hands his, his license, his ID to a TSA agent. And they say, oh, your last name is Hawk, like the skateboarder T Tony Hawk. And Tony says, exactly. And the TSA agent says, cool, I wonder what he's up to these days. And Tony, and Tony responds, this. And they, they still don't know who he is, right? He looks like a normal guy. He's flying on a normal plane, so they think there's no way this could be the world-famous skateboarder, right? We would not recognize the king of the world being born in Bethlehem. We would think he'd be born in a comfy place, surrounded by important people, but our king came mildly, humbly, right? We just sang probably the most beautiful Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing has a few lines that capture this truth so beautifully, right? It says, mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. 
He does all these huge cosmic things, but he's born mildly. We don't really like that word, mild. That's what Jesus, he laid down his life. His mild birth achieves a glorious result of salvation and eternal life. The baby born humbly brings forth spiritual resurrection. Jesus was born so that no man may die. It's a beautiful lyric. But I want us mostly to look at verse 11 here. I want to read 10 to 12 one more time, but we're going to really focus on verse 11. It says, the angel said to them, fear not, to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 11 is a great summary of the gospel of Christianity. Which is why in verse 10, this is considered good news. What's the good news of great joy? Verse 11 Born today is Christ the Lord, a Savior. Now, verse 11 is a super rare verse in the Bible because three titles of Jesus are all used in the same sentence. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Those three are often not used together. So this is kind of like God saying, here is my son with one giant punch. I'm going to give you all of who he is in these three titles. Each title points to Jesus, and yet each title points to something specific about Jesus. So, I mean, think about you. You have different roles in life. You're a son, you're a daughter, maybe you're a husband, maybe you're a wife, you're an employee or a boss, you're a fan of this team, right? If someone says, this is Troy, you know, he's, he's a pastor, does that mean I'm not the other things? No, right? Um, it just means that I am something specific in this situation, right? Same here in verse 11, it is good news that Jesus is all three of these titles. All right, God doesn't just willy-nilly throw out titles just to tell us it's Jesus. He does it for a specific reason. Firstly, we recognize that he, in verse 11, is a savior. Points to a deliverer, someone who can rescue someone or a nation from enemies or troubles or perils. Right? So in the Old Testament... There were leaders in the Old Testament who were considered the deliverers, the saviors, kings, and judges. They'd come in and then win the battle, right? They'd cross the Red Sea. But what's the problem with all of these leaders? They all sinned, and eventually they all died. So the people of God longed for a savior, a deliverer, who would not just satisfy and save them temporarily, but would usher them into the kingdom of God, where they would have security and life forever. And this angel is announcing that this baby born is that savior, the one they long for, the true deliverer, the better Moses, the better Joshua, the better David, the better judges. And what's he going to save them from? Not Caesar. Not their financial debt. He's going to save them from their sins. The deepest peril and trouble that any human can find themselves in. The baby born is going to save them from their greatest problem, which is separation from God. I mean, think, we just sang again. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Reconciliation, peace. The Savior brings this to us. The baby is the Savior, the deliverer, who no longer 
has to let us live in separation, but gives us peace and hope, salvation. He's a savior. But secondly, it's also good news because he is what? He is the Christ, the Christ. We sometimes forget that Christ is not, you know, his last name. Christ is a title. It means the Messiah or the anointed one. This means that Jesus is the one God sent to do his will. The chosen one of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God would would call a king or a priest or a prophet and he would anoint them. Say, I'm giving you a special mission. I'm giving you special ability in this season, in this moment to accomplish what I want you to do, right? At one point, he anointed King Saul to lead. Right, sometimes he would come to Isaiah and, uh, and anoint him and say, you're going to be my prophet. But again, what's the problem? Both were sinners and both eventually died. But Jesus, he is the one that God is sending with a specific task and a mission as the chosen one. He's going to be both the, he's going to be all three, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And guess what? He will die, but he will resurrect. He's going to be the chosen leader who does all of the work of God that God sent him to do. He will never fail, nor will he ever cease to exist. Jesus is the one who will accomplish everything God sent him to do. So he'll be the prophet. He'll be the priest. He will be the king forever. He is the one whose God favor rests on. The baby being born that's swaddled is God's chosen one to accomplish everything that God wants him to. But thirdly, it's good news. This baby was born because he is the Lord. The word Lord refers to God. So you see this kind of climactic rise in titles here. Yes, this baby's going to save them. This baby's God's chosen one. Oh, and by the way, this baby is God. As in when we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This baby was there. The God who created all things, the God who rules over the universe and sustains every molecule that's floating around, the God who caused the sun to stand still, the God who split the Red Sea, who sent the 10 plagues, the God who caused dry bones to come to life. This God is that baby, and this baby is that God. Again, let's return to this song we just sang. Maybe the most beautiful part of this song, and at times it sounds a little clunky to sing, it's so theological. But it's really beautiful. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. In other words, uh, Jesus is God. It doesn't sound as beautiful when I say it that way. Here is Christ in the highest heaven adored, as in he is God. He is the Godhead that we see. He is the incarnate deity. He is God in the flesh who God adored, who God sent, the anointed one, who has come to dwell with man to save them. And the one who does it is the Lord. Imagine Mary rocking this baby to sleep. She's feeding this baby changing this baby, and this baby is going to be the one to save her from her sins. This baby is the one God sent to deliver his people from sin and deliver them to eternal life. 
What is so gracious and beautiful about this story is that God just doesn't send a third-party representative to be all these things. God sends himself. The second person of the Trinity comes who is so patient and kind and loving that he would lay down his life to be our mediator, to forgive us of our sins, to reign as king, and to accomplish everything God wants him to accomplish. God came in the flesh. Friends, this baby being born should bring us joy, for he is the Savior, he is the Messiah, he is the Lord, and this is exactly why in the second half of the sermon here, we're going to see the joyful responses. Right after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, We read in verses 8 and following, the first birth announcement was to a group of shepherds by an angel. So in verse 10, the angel proclaims to these shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. In verse 9, it mentions that this angel was of the Lord, was surrounded by the glory of the Lord. You see that word glory? In the Bible, it talks often about the glory of God shining. That means the powerful presence of God coming forth in a unique way. Oftentimes, light in the Bible represents the presence of God. So here this angel comes, and there's light and glory all around him, which means he is coming in the place of God to communicate something with joy. The glory of the Lord is shining around this angel, and what does he declare? The baby is born. And then a a choir of angels, of hosts, come next to him, and they sing a song, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Do you note what the first response is to a baby being born? It is praise. Glory to God in the highest. Not great, now he can solve my problems. His first response he gets from these angels is glory, is worship. To give glory to God is to affirm and recognize and bring to mind his excellence and his beauty. Right? Oftentimes the the, the direct translation of the word glory is often the word heavy or weight. So we say the glory of God is shining. We mean that God's presence was so heavy or so weighty, so visible, it's unmissable. His presence weighed so heavy in that situation. So when the angels are singing glory to God, they're declaring, let God have the greatest weight in the world. Let him be so heavy that you can't miss him. Let him be the point. Let him be the thing that shines the brightest. And have you ever worn, you know, a heavy backpack before? Right? Or you have a big luggage, you're taken through the airport, and the more and more you walk or travel with that heavy backpack, the more you feel it in your body. Your body becomes sore by it. It's heavy. It's weighty. It's affecting you. To give glory to God is the positive side of this. To recognize that God should be the one that's the most influential thing in your life. The heaviest, the weightiest thing that every step you take, you are feeling the weight of God. He is so excellent and beautiful that you recognize it every step of life. The birth of Jesus deserves the worship and the giving of glory from the world. And the angels started this chorus. And the question is, will we join in on it too? 
where we joyfully proclaim the greatness and the beauty of Jesus. This birth is the coming of God. Isaiah 6, right? Isaiah gets his vision of God, and there there's a choir singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. In Revelation 4, there's a heavenly choir singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come here at the birth of Jesus. There's a similar call, glory to God in the highest. The proper response to when God does something is glory. The Westminster Confession of Faith begins by asking, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That means, that's the purpose of your life. Not that person's life or people who are paid by the church. Our job as a Christian, as a human being, is to give glory to God. So when we come into the presence of God, our first reaction, our first instinct should be to give him glory and praise, to declare his greatness. And this Christmas season, right, has been an opportunity to do that. The songs we're singing are not just good Christmas carols, though they are. They are opportunities to join in on the angelic choir in Luke 2, to do the same thing that the angels and heavenly hosts are doing. Now, we have opportunities today and every day to praise God, right? To pray to Him, for example. But what we often do, if you're like me, is sometimes my prayers skip over the glory part and go to the, I need this, or this is going on, God, solve this. And those things matter. But do we ever start our prayers by simply telling Jesus how beautiful and excellent He is? That's a sign of your authenticity in prayer. If we want to rush past giving glory to God, then we are making ourselves into the God. My needs first, my desires first. But if we say, God, I want to declare to you for a while here that you are holy, 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 then you're coming into prayer with a worshipful attitude. We need to feel the heaviness and the weight of God. So practically, what does this look like? Well, this looks like us having to do something that's sometimes hard for us, and that's called being intentional. It doesn't happen on our own. We have to choose to worship God. So you must discipline yourselves, right? To to begin to pray by not starting with requests, but by starting with praise and glory. This means that you come to the Word, you come to the Bible, and your main motivation is not, what does this mean to me? Your main motivation is not, how do I apply this? Now, those matter. But the primary thing you do when you come to the Word, the primary thing you do is, what does this teach me about God? If our job is to glorify God, let's begin. What does it tell me about God? How can I praise God from this passage? And this means you're going to make God a thought in your life every day. right? The Bible times says, behold, behold God. What does that mean? To bring God into your eyesight. You actually must look to Him. So the question for us is, are we even looking at him? And Christmas is not just an opportunity to celebrate our families and our traditions or to be kind to one another. Those are good things. 
But this is a time, chiefly, like every other day of the year, to give glory to him, to pray to him, to sing to him, to sit in his presence and his word and let the heaviness of God feel heavier and heavier upon us. And the good news is that God is not like a heavy backpack that actually makes us lose joy. It's the opposite. The more we sit under the heaviness and weight of God, the more joy and freedom you actually feel. God deserves every ounce of worship and glory that this universe has. So what we do matters. And a joyful response this Christmas season is worship. Glory. After these angels sing, they return to heaven. I mean, what are the shepherds thinking at this point? You know, like, like what just happened? I mean... Is this the movie Inception? Like, what's going on right now? You should watch that movie, by the way. It's good. That would have landed in first service today, so. But they, they hear this, this choir. They see this announcement. But then what do they do? They do something really important. After hearing the birth announcement and seeing the worship of the angels, they go themselves to see Jesus. They hurry, it says in verse 16, in haste. They go in haste to find the baby. And they see Mary and Joseph and they meet the baby. Right? Some of you need to come see Jesus. Right? We've been singing to Jesus like the angels here at church today. We're worshiping, we're giving him glory. But maybe for someone in here, this is the moment for you to come and encounter Jesus. The shepherds could have stayed out in the fields and said, okay, that's cool. But we're going to stay out here and work. We could have kept our our distance from this baby, but no, they hurried. They went in haste to meet this Savior, the Messiah, the God. You may enjoy Christmas songs. You may have Christmas decorations, even a nativity set at home. You may like the idea of Christianity. You may like some of the philosophical and ethical teachings of Jesus. That's great, good, wonderful. But unless you come and leave your field and come face to face with Jesus, then what's the point of all that stuff? Christmas is about Jesus. And I pray that we're not going to leave Jesus at arm's length or stay out in the field. We're too busy doing our stuff. No, we need to come in haste and bow down to him. Right? Flirting with Christianity or liking parts of Christianity and not Christ is missing the point, right? It's like saying, I love baseball. Well, I love the hot dogs, the nachos. I like kind of the songs we sing in the seventh inning stretch, the game. I don't like it. I don't understand it, but I like baseball. Do you? No. You like the things of baseball. And those things are great, right? But saying, hey, I love the morality of Jesus. I love the loving your neighbor stuff. Maybe I love some of the Christmas traditions. But if you don't actually love Jesus, then all that stuff is pointless and it's not going to do anything for you. I've been known to be direct and I'm just going to say it. If you're not a Christian, it's time to be one. The baby born was sent by God to save you and to love you. And will you receive this gift of grace known as Jesus? He will take your sins. He will cast them as far as the east is from the west. And he will reconcile you to God. All you must do, confess your sins 
and trust in Jesus to save you. That's what this Christmas is all about. But if you are a Christian, this too is a reminder that we can be so busy or distracted and forget that Jesus is ours to know and to love. He's a friend of you. He's your lover. He came not just to save you and leave you, but he came to save you and to be with you. So some of us need to come back to our first love and treasure him for him, right? We can stay in the fields of life being busy doing our work and our hobbies and our priorities and even good things like community service and serving here. And yet a town away is Jesus and he's just waiting for us. What this new year, actually don't even wait for the new year. Today, what this be? A start to intimacy with Jesus again. Come like the shepherds with haste to Jesus. Come see him. But we also see that the angels came. They declared they have great news of great joy. They joyfully responded by worshiping. Then the shepherds respond by the, the news and they come face to face with Jesus. But there's one more thing that the shepherds did here. They went and told others about this baby. Verse 17. When they saw it, right, everything that happened, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. They saw the worship. They came to Jesus themselves, and they went and told others. This is the Christian experience summed up here in a story. Jesus becomes so beautiful and necessary for us that we go and tell others. We want others to share in the eternal joy that we have experienced ourselves. The angels proclaim it to the shepherds, and now the shepherds are proclaiming it to others. Right? You have people in your life that you need to share the joy of Jesus with. Right, yes, sometimes we give them some inspirational encouragement, but it's more than that. It's Jesus himself. Parents, your primary mission field is your kids. Right, show them Jesus. So you were reading that children's Bible with them? That has eternal uh, ramifications to it. It's important. Teaching your teenage kids how to read the Bible, hugely important. If you work with people, How can you show and talk about Jesus to them? How can you speak into their troubles or anxieties or their fears and show them Jesus, your neighbors, whoever it is? Bring Jesus into the conversation. Do they need grace? Do they need comfort? Do they need hope in life? Why would we hold back the very thing that changed our life and brought us joy and the very thing that they need the most? Right, cross that line and give them Jesus. It's kind of like, you know, if we were in a prison, Maybe we know we're in the prison, maybe we don't. But someone comes and unlocks the door for us and we're set free and we realize, wow, we are this free now? And we come upon someone else who's in a prison. Maybe they don't know that they're in prison, but they're in prison and we have the key, the universal key that unlocks the door and yet we don't give it to them. We just give them a tip about how better to survive in the jail that they're in. Jesus is the key. The salvation is only in Jesus, not the stuff of Christianity, not the morality, not the good songs we sing. Jesus is the key. These shepherds realized the key, received it, and then instantly ran out and told others, our joy in Jesus should catapult us to share it with others. It's like there is a real free gift 
and there's no fine print. There's no fees that are hidden. It's a true gift. All we must do is repent and follow Jesus. It's the greatest gift of all gifts. And once we open it, we want others to share in the joy of that gift. It's exactly what these shepherds did. We should imitate these shepherds in this way. And I want you to know this. These shepherds are unlikely candidates for a choir of angels to sing to them. Shepherds were often treated very poorly in this culture. Their job is lowly. I mean, they smell terrible. They were considered by many Jews as unclean because a lot of their job involved breaking a lot of the Jewish rules about cleanliness. And yet these lowly shepherds are the ones that a choir of angels come to. I think if we all get to the realization that you and I in this story, that we are the shepherds, this will become that much more beautiful. We are the undeserving, messy, sick, sinful people. We stink, we break laws, we are nobodies. And the moment we realize that without Jesus, we are nothing, then that makes Jesus that much more glorious. And then we get to bring the good news of Jesus to other shepherds and unworthy people. We get to bring Jesus to the most unlikely of people. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your kids. And that might be the day of their salvation. This might be the day of their joy where they meet the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. He has been born. Let us praise Him and come to Him and tell of Him. This is a day to rejoice in. And that's why we're going to finish our service with one song that says, Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we love you. We adore you. We praise you that you would come and save us. You would obey your Father in heaven. We praise you that you are the Lord. Thank you for saving us from our sins. Thank you for reigning on high. We know that you're coming back again. I pray you find us joining in on this choir of angels, glorifying you with everything we have. We love you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen.